Hello, welcome to the Le Domestique Cycling Podcast, a podcast all about cycling and the incredible experiences you can have on your bike. My name is Rob Cartledge, I'm one of the directors and founders of Le Domestique Tours, and I'll be your host over the coming weeks, months, and we hope years, as we give you a bit of insight into Le Domestique, the tours that we run, and the guests and type of people that come away with us. Um, this first episode is quite a special one. It's um, been brought to you by Phil Guyman and Nathan Hartz, two professional cyclists who had a chat for us about their experiences of some of the climbs that we cover in our tours and about racing generally in the mountains, together with some hints and tips on how to climb effectively. And they've got some really interesting stories that I'm sure those of you who've ridden in the mountains before can relate to. We'll keep this one short and sweet and I'll hand over to Nathan and Phil. But if you enjoy the episode, please subscribe, please tell your friends about it. And of course, look forward to future episodes, which will be debuting um, in the coming weeks and months. Thanks very much and enjoy. Hi folks, this is Phil Guyman. Uh, this is my special podcast for La Domestique Tours. Um, I want to talk with Nathan Haas today about some famous climbs and tell a couple stories. They've asked me to start with with some climbing tips, um, which is probably a good idea. I think people people don't pace themselves is the main thing, and I know that sounds that sounds overly simple, but the number of times that I'll go on a training ride with someone who who they should know and I know that they can't keep up with me on a hill. Um, you know, maybe we're going to a half hour climb and so they, they stay behind me for the first four minutes and then they're ruined and I'm keeping my pace because I know how to do that and and they end up spending the last you know, twenty five minutes for me, forty five minutes for them just miserable trying to grind up this thing. So you you err on the side of of going too easy. Um, that's 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 the way you make it up. Is is you start slow and maybe you increase your pace. The second half of the climb, you uh, like now you'll start to push a little more. But but on on a climb, it's it's basically a time trial as far as the effort, and and you should keep that in mind and, and sort of pace it accordingly. Um, don't let don't let other people tempt you into going harder than you want to or, or harder than you should. Uh, do your research on your climbs when before you get to the to the climb. Like, find out how long it is. This is like, it's it's real easy now with with all the the Strava and the and the internet stuff out there. Is you can find out how how far it is, how steep it is, um, and and think about, you know, find someone who you think is a similar pace from you based on other climbs who's who's done it and 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 pace accordingly. So if you think. When, when I do a hard climb, I'll look almost only at the clock, and then I'll say, okay, this is a half-hour climb, and I'll go a pace that I can ride for half an hour. And the last tip for climbing would be to save it for the, the harder parts of the climb. So climbs, uh, Nathan and I talk about this, how every climb has personality, but certain climbs, you know, if it flattens out, use that to, to recover. You don't have to you don't have to really blast the, the flat part. If you're suffering when it flattens out, that's sort of where you recover. If you can, if you're, if you're feeling good, you can keep going and keep pushing. But, um, but there's parts where if it's steep and you're forced to stand up, that's, that's where you lose time. If, if you've, if you've really hurt yourself. Um, so sort of like let the climb dictate how far, 
how far into the red you're sort of pushing it and make that make that how you pace. You know what? I'm like, don't forget to enjoy it. I think people, when, when they're training, when they're, I don't know, when, when people think it's, it's exercise, they think it has to be work, it has to be unhappy. And, and I know, I know amateurs will like, just, you know, they won't stop and, and sort of enjoy a view or, or whatever. Pros, like, like if I get to the top of a mountain, I'll sit and have an energy bar and like take pictures, like enjoy it. You're, that's, that's the point. So, so kind of savor what you've earned and, um, and, and that's what we all do and, and don't, don't lose sight of that. But alright, that's enough of me. So here's, uh, here's my little chat with, with Nathan Haas. It's, I think it's, I think it's funny. I think you'll enjoy it. So here with Nathan Haas, this is Phil Guyman. And uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna chat about about some climbs and some bike rides. Uh, Nathan, I think the 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 first main thing. Let's like start with basics of what we're all. You and I are professional cyclists. Uh, you ride for Dimension Data. I ride for for Cannondale now Cannondale Draypack. Um, we're also professional cyclo tourists. That's like our dirty secret. Is that right? Do you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely, man. I, you know, before I was a professional racer, I was a professional just lover of bike riding, I guess. You know, I've been riding a bike ever since I can remember. And, and you know, one of the things that's been so cool about my, I guess, professional endeavors has been being able to go to places that, you know, are so on the map in cycling. And, and the stories that I can tell now, you know, to... To people that know cycling history, I, I understand the story. We're part of the conversation, and it's just been, as you said, part of what we do is we just love to ride bikes. There's a, like we, we get paid to race them, but that's like the side, like, and that that part is fun too. I actually enjoy racing. I think most of us do, but then there's the other part where we just get to explore and and see stuff. And I think that like riding a bike is like you can get in a tour bus and you can or a cruise and you can take pictures of stuff but like seeing things from from a bike i feel like is the best way to kind of feel the world and experience uh just what's going on yeah i i agree like for me the last time i owned a car was seven years ago and the i think the thing that always drew me to bikes in the first place was the freedom I had and as a 14 15 year old it was how I went to my first jobs and and it really opened my world and I think you know when you tie that into exploring and starting to challenge the body and the mind and you're in these far out places absorbing far out weather conditions there's there is a really close relationship that you actually have with your environment that you don't get inside the bubble of a car and, uh, you know, I think for me, that's always been something that's made cycling extra special is the fact that I have this connection to the world and the environment and through eyes that we don't often see. And one of the really cool aspects of cycling from a professional level is that I love racing. I live to race. But one of the really cool things is we go to all these small towns that are not on the map of the tour buses. Right. They're not on the map of, you know, all of these world traveling books. You know, there's, there's probably not even a Wikipedia site on half of them. And we go there and, and we get to see it and we get to ride right. through it. 
and then sometimes we get to hear about the the history of it and you know I, I recently did tour of Croatia and uh, I was fortunate enough to have my spawner is actually Croatian and as we were going through town to town he was starting to tell me the stories of each of the town and, and then before we got there about the the recent war history and you know it's, hmm. it's so fascinating to go to places that you know I, I would never have gone in my life and, and thanks to bikes I get to do that right no, I went to, when we had our, our altitude camp at Sierra Nevada, um, right at the bottom of that is, is Granada and the Alhambra, that whole palace. And I drove, I remember driving to the airport and thinking like, I'm the only American to spend two weeks this close to Granada and not see that damn palace. But I saw the olive trees and I saw the mountain and I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I, I, got, I got something else. I got a different experience out of it. And that's kind of what what these bike tours offer people. Um, so, so you've done you've done all kind you've done more cool races than me. I've I've done I've been a bike racer for a while, but most of it's in the U.S. Um, so you've done some of the more historic uh, climbs and and bike races. You've done how many how many Grand Tours have you done? What's your Grand Tour tally? I've done four, but I've I've raced all of the Grand Tours. So yeah, that's that's cool. been pretty amazing, and, and I've been lucky enough to do. Every single race, other than uh, Paris Roubaix and Flanders. Oh, I got you on one of those, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got you on the first third of one of them. The first third. Hey, you you got into the breakaway for a little while there. You weren't terrible. No, I did. I did almost half. To be fair to me. Um, so what what were your what were your favorite climbs in 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 all the Grand Tours? Like, what are the ones that stick out? What were the ones that like? There's uphills, but then there's there's experiences. I think, for me, the most outstanding experience of a mountain climb is also paired with my most horrific, and that's in 2014. There was a rather strange judgment by the uh, the Giro d'Italia to commence the uh, the Gavia Stelvio stage. We already knew from where we were, I believe at like 15 or 1600 meters elevation, that the temperature was about four degrees. It was raining cats and dogs. <laughs> and, and there was there was all these Twitter feeds coming from the top of the Gavia, which was the first climb that we had to do for the day. But it was already right. white out in snow. And you know, we're sitting on the bus and everyone's, everyone's got this <sighs> turn in their stomach just thinking, you're kidding. There's no way on earth we have to do this. And then as the time ticked close to the start of the race, you know, the directors are coming on, you know, somber as hell, looking at us going, guys, you're going to have to hop on the, the, the trainers. Like, you know, you need to be warm for this hill climb stuff. Right. And, you know, as, as we move closer and closer, you know, we're clipped onto the bikes and we're thinking, no, 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 for sure they'll cancel it. And then we're doing our right. warm-up, for sure they'll cancel it. We're off the bike, for sure they'll cancel it. And then we get on the start line and all of a sudden it sort of hit us all that we are about to have a day that will make history in cycling. Like, we, we, all, we all like bike races and we line up to bike races and I'm sure you were super excited to do the Giro, but then like, when, it, when you think it might be cancelled, I don't know how this went in Australia, but in the US, like, well growing up in Atlanta, if it snowed, if we got a little bit of snow, we're all watching the live TV feed of, what, of where they're cancelling school. And as much as I, even if I liked going to school, I'd be so happy when I didn't have to go. And I feel like that's the same thing at, at races sometimes when it's just when it's just looking nasty out there. You're just like, please cancel it. Like everyone's just just crossing their fingers, except a couple crazy guys who don't value their lives. But but most of the field just just wants it done. 
I totally agree. And it's such a strange feeling of conflict inside because you want to race, like you said. There's right. These are stages that are important to the race. But you just know how much it's going to suck. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing. It's like, like you're going to have stories, but first you have to feel it. Yeah, and, and I think one thing that people actually don't realize is, you know, when, when they talk about a ride, oh, he's getting in the zone, oh, you know, he's, he's, he's difficult before a race, or, you know, oh, you know, he's very serious. It's not always about being serious about how I'm going to win this. It's a way of kind of surviving the fear. And right. those wet, horrible races for someone who, say, not a climber, those races are ones that sometimes you need to take an extra risk down a downhill to get back even to Gruppetto. Uh, and that's to survive the whole race. And you know that's coming, yeah. You know that there's going to be a point where you have to do... You have to make a move around a corner that one in ten times you're going to break a bone. Yeah, and, and it's, just, it's just such a relief when they do cancel it. But at the same time, you don't, you don't ever want to express that feeling because you don't want to be soft and you don't want to admit... No, you better actually, not... That's how you get slapped on the team bus. Yeah, but you also don't <laughs> want to admit to yourself that you're scared. Like, that's a big part sure. of it. I think, you know, that fear is something that we're actually always trying to deny within ourselves. And I've always said the best athletes are the ones that can lie to themselves and believe it. But I think one of the times that we actually do kind of get reminded that the fear is real, when they do cancel a race, and you do feel a bit of relief. <laughs> There's a little high, yeah. Yeah, but unfortunately this day they didn't. They didn't... No, so you, so you had to race up that into into the epic was it rain or snow or both well it was rain and then it turned to snow about halfway up and to sort of go on from there you know we, we started the, the gavia and uh we're going up and and actually there was more or less a code of honor amongst all the riders we're all just going to ride up it at one pace and if this gets too ridiculous we're going to call the race because that, that's happened mm -hmm. in the Giro before in Milan where there was a stage on the flat that the riders just said no 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 this is too risky it's wet there's, there's railways everywhere there's, this right. is annulled we went forward with the race and then all of a sudden someone from one of the smaller Italian teams attacks mm -hmm. and as soon as that happened the code's broken it's on yep and then fortunately I was in great form that year and, and I went over the top of the Gavia with a group of 30 so I was, I was in no risk in my mind of actually not finishing that day because my legs were good. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden we got to the top of this mountain. I took a rain jacket at the top. Oh, it was a big, <laughs> it was bigger than a rain jacket. It was a big Gore-Texy thing. Tried to get gloves okay. on my hands and I was starting to descend with the first guys, but my glasses got snowed over. So I had to oh, throw God. my glasses away. There was nothing that they could do. And then the next thing, the snow was going into my eyes, and it was just burning. I haven't, I haven't yeah. ever felt like that. And the visibility in front of me, I reckon, was ten meters at most. It was just a whiteout snow. <laughs> I've done that. And and I went. Were you doing the thing where you close your eyes because it stings? So you like open your eyes for half a second, you deal with the pain, and then you memorize what's coming up the next like ten seconds, and then you're right with your eyes closed, as long as you remember where you're going. <laughs> Yeah, I've gotten down whole mountains that way. <laughs> but it's at that point you kind of wish that you played those memory games more as a kid. Right. It was just like <laughs> I, my my eyes were open literally ten percent of this descent, and somehow I'm still here. But anyway, I started going down the descent, and I've come around a corner, and someone's actually crashed, and there's a car next to them, and uh. it was just one of those moments of pure grace in cycling where I just let go of the brakes, and if I'd braked, I would have crashed. And I just skim past the car, narrowly missing the like the snow wall on the other side, 
And then I thought to myself, Nathan, you're not going to win this stage. I think it's time to find a slower group. <laughs> Slowly, like, melted back on this descent, thinking, what are we doing? Right. And then my group actually regrouped to, with the front group. And again, over the Stelvio, I had good legs. But at this point, I was just, I was just freaking out about the situation. I was just in survival mode, and no one was looking at each other. It was just, it was just insane, and, and I, like, your hands were so cold from the descent, you were so just miserable, my eyes were hurting so much. I thought you're doing a great job pitching these bike tours. Yeah, but I mean, this is, but this is, but this is the drama no, in the history I, of it. I'm joking, because the thing is, I, it sucks, but I know that you loved it. I did. That's what's broken about us. In a sick way. And for me, the most part, I had a decent day. I'm not going to say it was good, because it was the most horrific day I've ever had on a bike. But right. I knew I was doing a lot better than others, and, and I had directors driving up alongside me, and other guys as well. It was sort of like everyone was just helping whoever they could with clothing and food, and they were just actually milking the gels into my mouth and into other guys' <laughs> mouths because we couldn't wow. get food. We couldn't use our hands. It right. was just a, just get this into you because if you don't have calories, you're going you're gonna to be done, you know? <laughs> and the cold was just eating our energy out of us. It was just like a sponge. Yeah. But uh, I knew everyone else's day was a lot worse than mine. And right. you know, that's kind of a shitty thing too when you know you've got friends that are, are out the back and they're really having a hard day. And, and, and the thing that I didn't actually know was the UCI and the Giro basically said, look, whoops, we've made a bit of a cock up here and just let everyone, they turned a blind eye to everyone holding onto cars. And, and Thomas Decker was telling me there was, there was a car that he counted 12 guys on. That's sort of beautiful and gross at the same time. Yeah, it was like barnacles. Riders were just barnacles. Right. But the worst thing about that was they're going up and now there's no blood flow. So now they're just getting the, the wind chill with no blood mm. flow. So it kind of made the downhill longer. That's a catch. And yeah. uh, in the end, you know, all the teams did pretty well to group us all into a big group out the back behind the leaders. And, and we all know the history that you know uh, Quintana won the Giro from Iran um, in a pretty pretty questionable manner that day when he attacked when the red flag was up and right you no know, it, it was a very strange day um in cycling and, and, and i think that adds to why it's such a dramatic and important history lesson in what cycling sort of is in the modern era as well as yep. the past because it didn't seem very modern it's an in-between yeah like we're getting there but uh but there's there's some moments i had a race in in trinidad once where we were the, there was like a crazy transfer from the finish line to where we were parked and no one really knew so guys were all just hanging out of cars and like a bus passed me with dudes were just hanging on to every part of the thing I ended up holding on to like the wheel well of a bus like my hand like an inch and a half from you know rubber spinning at 40 miles an hour and I was like yeah this is whatever everyone else is doing it this is rational yeah <laughs> this makes sense. well it's just it was either that or I'm by myself in Trinidad for uh for an extra hour somewhere um so about what about like the climbs themselves like what did you you probably didn't even experience those climbs you you did them but but you don't know what they'd be like on a normal day yeah so I've done them before and they're amazing you know they're they're some of the most incredible and scenic and most recognizable climbs in cycling, especially the Stelvio. But this day it was white. 
It was like <laughs> right. it was like being in a, a washing machine with extra bubbles. You know, there was just nothing you could do or see or take in, and it was just survival mode. And, and we were really at a fight or flight, yeah, in a reaction. Right. And and I don't think you know anyone had the bandwidth to actually take in anything from that day. And and I think that's no. also fortunately one of the mechanisms that makes cyclists so good is the fact that we've got like a selective memory and in the next day we're already lining up again and oh sure and there's other races where you know you know you're going to face something similar but you're not you're not as scared as you should be because we're just really good at just piecing it out you know what I've noticed is like that you wouldn't you wouldn't know because you haven't had a car in seven years and and I pray that someday you can afford a car Nathan I really do um, but as an American, I've never not had a car since I turned 16. Um, and, and I've noticed like when, I mean, now if I drive on the highway and there's been like a couple, like once in a while you have a close call, right? Someone, someone swerves into you or there's a crash near you. I live in LA. It's, it's kind of every day that there, that you have a little bit of, Oh, I had to slam my brakes. Oh shit. I was almost in a wreck and, and I'll, I'll have that. And then you get through it. And then a second later I'm back driving and my heart rate is back to zero and I'm fine. Not zero, because then I'd be dead. My heart rate is back to 45 and, and, I'm, and I'm fine and I'm recovered from it. But whoever's the passenger is freaked out still. And I'm like, oh, that's from bike racing that I've learned to like go from that switch of like, oh, I almost died. Okay, back, I'm concentrating, everything's fine. Cool, back to war. And that's, <laughs> that's like a weird gift slash curse. That, that I can that I can turn that off and it doesn't really move my needle emotionally. Well, it's, um, it's very healthy in what we do to get through what we do. And right, yeah, I'd have quit long ago if I couldn't do that, I guess. And I think that actually speaks for this like weird love everyone has for climbing and cycling. I've, I really have to admit I don't love climbs, but again and again, it keeps coming up as the most monumental parts of my career. And I keep telling the stories, and, and I think it's... I think that's what it is for for anybody that rides bikes is like you, you don't tend to remember too well that you know flat ride from Ghent all the way on the canal back to Ghent. Yeah, I know exactly the ride you're talking about, but no, I I remember more the every time up up uh, Rocca Corba or or something like that. So you know we've had this hellish day and and I saw a man who I never thought could cry, being Tyler Farrar, get into the back of a car and just lose his mind crying you know that's the effect that these things can have on such strong-willed people to then four days that later does sound scary. to the four de- four days later stage 20 of the Giro when we hit the Zonkalan which is another one of the most famous climbs in the world it's known as the gates of hell and you know for me it was actually <laughs> it was actually an amazing experience because I was again in the group of sort of like you know 30 35 people going into it and and Hejidal was um, after a really hard-fought Giro back in the top 10 and you know all I had to do is get him into the bottom but the coolest thing about this climb this day is because the road's so small so steep cut that the team cars couldn't actually follow them for the first five or six k's so all of the soigneurs from every team were on the back of motorbikes holding a bike over their shoulder and the climb's so steep that all you had to do was kind of like get your guy anywhere near the front and then just be like, okay, now I can sit up. But it's so straight and so steep. And you go through this thing, and it's called the Gates of Hell. And there's literally a gate that says, welcome to the Gates of Hell, Zonkalan. Really? Yeah, it's, it's so cool. And you go up, and it's just this wall, awesome. wall in front of you. And I just remember watching the fight for the Giro, 
just unfold in front of me. And I was probably three minutes behind at this point, but I could still see it because it's so steep, so straight that like maybe they're 400 meters in front of me, but in real time, that's three or four minutes. And then once I got over that steep section, you know, ev everyone's just starting to, to push and you know, you're, you're not asking for the pushing, but everyone just knows that you're not part of the real race. You know, you're, you're one of the guys that's just wanting to finish for the day. And I keep going through and the crowd kind of died a little bit. And then we went through this dark tunnel and out of the tunnel, we emerged to the biggest crowd I've ever seen on the mountain. The Tour de France has had nothing like this, in my opinion. It was just something else. And, and all of the mountain, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, mountain police or, you know, mountain guide, they were lining the road. And I just thought, I'm going to have so much fun here in these last four kilometers of my Jura, because, you know, the last day doesn't really count so much. Was that when the wheelies went down? Yeah, and I was starting to do one-handed wheelies, and the crowd was going <laughs> nuts. People were handing me beers, and, you know, a guy handed me a cigar for a second. I, I didn't dare to actually take a toke of the cigar. I think I would have killed over and died, but, you know, I had, I had a little bit of beer going up this climb, and, and for me, it was just like the most incredible feeling in my life because the year before, I, I didn't finish the Jura. I crashed out on stage 18, I think it was. Mm -hmm. ah. And, you know, that's a, that's a really heartbreaking moment. And when you realize that you're through the Jura, it just, it was this whole experience where everything kind of came together and it made it feel so much like, wow, I've, I've actually done something in my life now that I can define as a success. You know, not, not a result, but in my own... No, I understand. I understand completely. And, and I think that's one of the things that people do feel with climbing to be so important is that it's actually all about suffering and overcoming it or just being able to put up with the shit. And there's a top. There's, there's like, you have to train and then you, and then it's, there's a point where you're there and you beat it and, and it's, and it's every time it's satisfying. Every time. There's not a single time that it doesn't feel kind of good to get to the top. Not a single time, even when you're racing and your eyeballs popping out of your head, it's... Right, it's just that, 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 first, sec that first time you can coast for a little bit and you've, you've earned it, and now you get a little rush on the downhill. Yeah, it's like when your favorite song comes on on the radio, you know, just, oh, right. this is just... <laughs> no, I ran, I was riding around in, in Malibu and I, and I ran into this guy at a coffee shop and he was, he had like, he was, must have been 70 and kind of recently taken up riding and and he had made like his goal was to make it to the top of Mulholland Highway which is a climb I do repeats of like weekly but for him like just to get to the top and he had just done it like the day before and and I was like yeah you know what that's amazing like this guy he got to the top of this thing um and and it's it's cool to see like I mean everybody feels like it's it's relative for each of us but it's that same emotional moment. How steep is too steep? Because there's a point where a climb is so steep, it's like there's not even any training value anymore. Do you find the same, or or do you look for that steep stuff and just well, whack it? Well, you know, I I have a different relationship to climbing than you do, Phil. You know, you're you're naturally a much more aerobic athlete, and your power to weight on a climb is is always going to be better than mine to the to the stress that it has on your system but actually one of the things that i personally like is the steep stuff because i i've i've always kind of been good at that but only when my body is strong so you know for me i actually have to do a lot of work on on my core and gym and power work to stay coordinated 
because I don't have the power to weight advantage, but one thing I can have is very good function in biomechanics. So I've, I've always felt that I can do that stuff well until the moment that I'm terrible. And that's when you guys just keep sort of slowly <laughs> grinding away from me. So, you know, I, I practice that stuff because it's actually something I'm good at. Interesting. But I, yeah, I avoid it because I don't, I don't like when it gets steep. Like I'm in Boulder at the moment and, and I've been going up Magnolia, I've been going up yeah. Linden. And, and for the most part, they're the climbs that most people avoid. You know, they're going up Left Hand Canyon or Canyon Road and, right. and uh, Sugarloaf. You know, ones that just ease off that little bit. But for me, I find that I need to practice the thing that I like doing. And, and, and we all tend to have something that we're good at. And we, we tend sure. to do that more often in cycling. The climbs that go for over an hour and just keep going all day. Like for me, I just, I just don't understand the, like, the mental space that you guys are in to do that but at the same time <laughs> but at the same time when I do it I have this euphoric feeling when I get to the top I'm like whoa that right. sucked <laughs> there's there's a climb we're talking about like climbs with personality there's a climb that I've been doing here I'm, I'm training in Big Bear and it goes it goes from basically sea level to to like 8,400 feet so what is that in meters I can't do math that's 2,500 meters more close to the side of 3,000 meters which is Okay. A lot higher than the highest point of Australia. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just that's kind of like my everyday ride. I go down and then I go up the long way over that one pass, and it's just like a three and a half to four hour climb. It has no personality whatsoever. This climb, it's just straight up. You you I can. There's one stretch that it gets. It just gets super hot, and you don't. And the the pavement's bad, and the bike lane's huge, and you you don't you don't turn for miles you can see the curvature of the earth and like i'll get all my email done <laughs> like on this one stretch in zone two see i um, i think for a ride that has no what was the word that you were using you were saying that the, the climb doesn't have character personality yeah character is australian for personality for a climb that doesn't have personality you actually have to have a lot of character and gumption to do it Oh, I want to go back to, I, I want to hear, and, and now that we're, it's nothing personal, I want to, I want to hear your thought on wheelies, because I remember you busting out the wheelies during that Giro, and I think it was, it was several times, um, where I saw pictures of you wheeling across the line or whatever, and I, I developed a theory. I did one as well at the Tour de France last year, and, and there's a, okay. a small sort of bike publication that gave me an award called the Pedalo du Charme, which is the rider with the most charm, or the most charming rider for yeah. the day. Yeah, see, that's, that's, okay, that's exactly, that's exactly my theory. I think, and, and where, do you know where you finished that day? How, like, how far down were you uh, at I that would, point? It would only have been a couple of minutes, but it was on the Mouda Hoy, uh, which is famous finish oh, for the cool. Flesh Wallonne. Yeah. And, uh, okay, yeah, I respect. I'm popping a one-handed wheelie up a thing that's, you know, steeper than a, a staircase. <sighs> and, you know, the race, I, I'd, I'd led Dan Martin into the, into the finish of the race, and he did, he did really well, and you know, heard over the radio that all was good in, in, in bike world. So then, you know, I, I always just like to have fun at the end of a race when all of a sudden, your job's done. Oh, you've earned it, no doubt. And, and the crowd really does react, and... And and it's a way of actually expressing my character. I feel with the crowd, sure. and it's it's you know a lot of people think Sagan's a showboat or whatnot, but he's an extrovert and he loves it. No, he's great. Yeah, and he feeds off the energy of the crowd, and and I can tell you if you go through a crowd, like you, you'd know the same. You go through a crowd, even if you're in the front of the race or the Gruppetto, but you do it with expression. 
you get a totally different reaction from the crowd. Sure, you throw a little wave. I one time the same thing. the The race was the race was ahead of me, and I'm just cruising into the finish. My job was done, and and someone like with three k to go held out one of my my book, and and I like grabbed it from him and tried to sign it while I rode. And I like scribbled something, and it would have been so cool if I hadn't if I'd thrown it back anywhere near them. Like I kind of I was <laughs> I was like aiming for the guy, and I'm not coordinated enough, and I'd gone a little too far ahead, and my signature was bad. But it would have been it would have been so baller if if I did that. But my my theory with wheelies, and it sounds like you're agreeing with me, is if you can wheelie across the line, no matter where you placed, what happened with the team, what happened with your result, all is forgiven if you wheelie across the line. And I think that's a skill that we should all like. I need to learn how to wheelie instead of failing to sign books. Yeah, and I think it's <laughs> I think it's another thing. Just even on top of that, it's like I think a lot of riders take it all a little bit too seriously. Like you know, the, oh god, yeah. When you're doing your job, <laughs> and the important part, you got to be damn serious, right? It's sure. It's it's held for leather. It's it's an honor. It's everything. But you know, if if I don't have fun. I don't think I could do this. It's too hard. It's too hard to not put a smile no. on your face. And I, there's a certain amount of money I could get paid where I wouldn't have fun, but I'm never going to get there. So it's it's going to have to be fun a little bit. Yeah. See, I, I even disagree with that, man. I think even the more money you get, the more inherent pressure there is on on doing well in different parts of the race. Sure. But for a million dollars a year, you'd go ahead and suck it up and not have fun for a decade. Oh, right? if if that was if that was part That's of it. That's what I mean. There's there's a price that you don't have to have fun, but for, at our at our level. Yeah, as, as sort of mere mortals. I'm gonna need some laughs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and it, and it helps me, it helps me interact with people that I could call my fans, and when those fans express, you know, their admiration for what you're doing you're fed by it and and it's actually a really nice way of i think um building the goodwill in cycling is to try to make us seem less robotic and be more more human and it's more fun and then you wake up and you're training for a more positive reason as opposed to just always about the result because the result can be doing your job nine days out of ten and that job can be working for someone and then even, you know, when you're in a breakaway, I, like I was in a breakaway at stage 13 of the tour last year and like I was having fun with it, you know, like I was waving at the camera and... Sure, you're not going to stick it. Kind of making faces about it being so right. hard and like, you know, I, I actually rode quite a nice race that day and I was very attacking and, you know, we, we didn't stay away, which was a bit unfortunate. But all the stuff on Twitter and, and all the reports from the reporters that were there... We're talking about how people kind of really love that, and and you know people come down hard on Sagan when he was first starting to do all that stuff, but right. but, but now that's who he is. That's part of his identity, and he's such a big winner that you know he can get away with doing anything. Right. He shouldn't have grabbed that girl's butt. That was that was it. Other than that, I'm down. Yeah, we don't we don't yeah. we don't <laughs> encourage that kind of behavior. <laughs> the rest of it, I I'm down with. He he was trying things. You know, he was experimenting. Yeah, but you know, a lot, of, a lot of people think that Sagan's the only one that does it. But there's a lot of guys that can handle bikes. Right. Pretty bad. He does it. He does it when he's off the front solo and winning. That's that's a that's a sick move. That that's one that's a little harder to master. That's the next level. That's some pretty next level right. riding. So that's badass. But I think I think you know what we're trying to get at here is there's there's um there's fun to be had, 
And and I think if you're a fun person, you're always going to express that through your writing. And I think that's what makes people like Alex Howes so famous in his own right. Agreed. He's he's coming into his own. He's expressing himself now. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And you know, there's a lot of cases of it. And um, you know, bringing personality to to bike racing is is, in my opinion, the key to making it evolve and, and take it to the next level. Or, or at least stay where we are and not regress too much. No, I totally agree. I think to, to grow the sport, we, being humans is cool. But a bike ride is like a great place to, to make friends and, and kind of meet people. I, I feel like there's a certain bonding that takes place past a certain heart rate. I could sit with somebody at a coffee shop and get to know them, but I'll get to know them a lot better if I spend the same amount of time next to them on a bike. Yeah, grown men crying together yeah if you're in a breakaway with someone you feel a bond for the rest of your life with that guy i think that's what makes cycling universal is that it doesn't matter if you're in the tour de france or if you're a seven-year-old man trying to get over his everest yeah it's all relative but it's universal and we all have these emotions and i think that's why a cyclist sees another cyclist in the distance you know we we see eye to eye and, and we know why we're doing it I don't have to preach to the choir, you know, they already know why they're singing. It's all pretty much the same thing. Yeah, and, and, and it doesn't matter which climb it is, you know, it could be the one in your backyard, it could be the one that you watched the 1978 Vuelta España showdown on, and you've been needing to go back ever since. And, and, and what's cool about cycling is that different climbs in different places have totally different meaning to different people. And history is relative, and the meaning of the history is also relative. And and I think we just all get it. You know, when when a seven year old guy gets to the top of his Everest, he's going to feel fantastic, just as maybe you and I need to be at the top of a climb in the Tour de France winning. You know, that that could be our Everest. We all have this this internal conflict of of we climbing is painful, but somehow we it's a level of pain that we all like. It's like an attainable level that we all we all enjoy it a little bit, and then we forget it enough to do it again the next day. And I think I think that's uh, I think that'd be a good place to end it. That's kind of I think that's that's what cycle tourism is, and uh, and that's what the domestique tours is is kind of selling. And and uh, I think everyone will kind of I think everyone who, who lines up on one of their rides will will feel exactly the same way. Okay, thanks so much, guys. Um, that was my chat with Nathan. And there will be more interesting conversations with uh, with other professional cyclists and otherwise uh, this fall on the Peloton Brief on my, uh, my, my podcast, Real Talent. Uh, so check that out. Um, as Tina Turner said, ain't no mountain high enough. They told me to say that. And I, was that Tina Turner? I don't know.